0: So, we're going to continue on from last week. Um, this is really a, a cool section. I, I labeled this section the commandment. And be careful here. I, I actually, in studying this, I actually wasn't real careful sometimes. It's not the plural. It's the singular. It's the commandment. And that's going to be kind of important as we get into the verses. In fact, I went back and looked at and what I did, and actually, one of my charts is a little bit off, but uh, bear with me here okay so 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 basically we 're going to compare the verses we 're going to talk about today i 'm going to do a little review <clears throat> it 's going to focus on the the commandment, and that 's going to be actually just one singular commandment, the tenth commandment, and Paul summarizes that in "Thou shalt not covet so he 's going to focus on that that commandment is what um really got to him. it really showed him that he ne- that he needed to walk with Christ by the power of the holy Spirit, but we 're not going to see that until chapter eight but he 's going to show his struggles uh, with his fallen nature from Adam, his sin nature so it 's really the, the the singular commandment versus the sin nature, not the commandments, not all the commandments. Which all of them can do it, but the, he really focuses on that one commandment, thou shalt not covet. And actually I was, in so you'll see as we get into this. So let's go back, I'm going to re- kind of look at the definitions again from last week. I added uh, one or two more here. So first of all, you know, you're going to see in your Bibles, it's just going to say sin singular. But in the original, it's the sin or the sin nature, Adam's fallen nature. And we're not going to see this today, but in, in previous lessons, we saw just the law without any article, meaning a law system or man-made laws. But in particular, I want to point out here, we're going to see what I noticed was, as I started to study this more, verses 4 through 6 talk about the law, the entire Mosaic law, and how we're free from that, right? It says in, uh, in the early verses that were read, the fact that <clears throat> we've been made to die of the law. We've been released from the law, and that's the whole mosaic law system. But then he gets to the commandment. He starts in the commandment. The transition verse is actually verse seven, where he starts talking about specifically the commandment, the tenth commandment: "Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house, wife, male servant, females, and so on." And coveting is—it's not. um, We're going to answer the question also: You know, is—is there any good coveting? And covening is used a few times, that the, the word uh, in the Greek, a few times about good things. And we'll talk about that briefly. But Paul is going to talk about his struggles with his one commandment. And then we're going to talk about death or separation. And death, you know, death never means annihilation. Uh, it always means separation in Scripture. Separation from God, many times it's separation in terms of fellowship. So we'll see that quite a bit. So hopefully this definition's going to help you, and if you have notes, you can you know have the uh, handout or whatever you can look back on the notes here. Okay, so let's look at uh, Macaulay's um, overview again here. Um, the law is a teacher in verse seven. "I have come to know thee, the sin nature. The law is an uh, agitator," in verse eight. The commandment produced in me coveting, uh, coveting in me." It's a Terminator, you know, I like, that's my word, I think of the Terminator, right, you know, all the movies and stuff like that. So, uh, actually, you know, in those three verses it talks about, I died, uh, it resulted in death for me, it killed me, and he's all talking about the commandment, how this one single commandment, thou shalt not covet, just really, I use the word wrecked havoc, I don't know whether that's a popular term anymore, wrecked havoc, that really, that really got to him. And uh, and I, uh, Macaulay kind of points out. He says the commandment. He lost all hope when he saw that he that the Lord wanted to had a commandment about how he thinks. He said, "Well, I I can't do that. I can't control what I think." And imagine if you know. I imagine it's true. The Lord says, "No, I don't want you to covet in, in a sinful way." Is what he's saying. The law is a revealer. We're going to see next week. Uh, through the commandment, the sin would become utterly sinful. Okay, so let's go back and look. I want to look at kind of the last part of verse seven. But let's just read it. And, and this is actually is kind of a mixture. I apologize. I took a little bit of the New American Standard and put together with the the West translation, so it, it, to, get, to bring out a, a point here. On the contrary, I would have not. I would not have come to know. No sin, the sin nature, except through the law. For I had not known evil desires, except that the law kept on saying to me, You shall not desire evil. And that's actually, the desiring evil is actually the idea of coveting. So there are some good senses about coveting. So the law is speaking of the Tenth Commandment here. And it's saying, it's this picture, if you will, it was saying to Paul, so you can almost imagine as he It's God's word speaking to you, and that's what we know. We read God's word and it speaks to us. Paul's saying it, it said, it kept on saying to me, the law kept on saying to me this You shall not covet. I didn't put the, you know, the, the, the 10th commandment. I didn't include the whole thing in there. So the commandment, uh, Macaulay says, is the only one addressed to how you, your thought life, how you think. And And actually, after, after, uh, class last week or after the service last week Jim came up to me and said wow I never I never saw that and I never saw that either that was something that in my study I kind of came across wow think about that this is a commandment that speaks to our thought life um, and then Merriman adds <clears throat> Paul is saying that I have not naturally known the specifics of coveting except that the law says you shall not covet and we're going to see that Paul was some have said innocent naive He's going, exp- he's going to tell us about his life, or he didn't, really, he didn't really think much about his thought life. But then when he read the commandment, the lights went on. Boom. Wow, I can't keep that. I can't do that. And that's actually a wonderful place to be. When you come to realize that you can't, quote, be a good Christian. You cannot do it. You have to rely upon God. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you. You can't, by your own efforts, improve yourself to be a, a good person. It takes your your walk of faith in our Savior to accomplish that. So actually in, in eight through thirteen uh, tells us about the commandment uh and how it wrecked havoc in his Christian life. All right. So now let's go on to verse eight. And and you know, seven was a is a transition, where he transitioned from the law, the entire Mosaic law, if you will, to narrow, to do tunnel vision in on just that one commandment. So then, then through, 8 through 8 through 13, uh, you'll see the word commandment used in every verse, the commandment. And this, this one has, but, but the sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So the central thought, I've underlined it there, is uh, the subject with the verb. So that's it right here. You have, but the sin, the sin nature, produced in me coveting of every kind. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a little bit. This just really got to Paul here. Now I'm going to share some things in a minute here about maybe a little personal here. The sin nature is the subject and the source of this. So the main verb is produced. To affect, to produce, to cause... And the idea here is uh, and we also see it it can be brought across as brings about you produce or brings about in this verse here in romans four fifteen for the law brings about wrath, so the sin nature is the author of coveting or lusting in me it 's the author and we 're going to see that this idea about the sin nature. And the commandments, we're going to see that talked about in, in various ways. In various ways, we're going to see how the sin nature and the commandment, how they affect one another. And what we're going to see, in, you know, the gist of it is that the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And it's the sin nature that's the issue. But Paul's going to make sure we understand that. So it produced in me every kind of coveting. Uh, coveting the, the the base word, uh, epithumia, uh, is desire, craving, longing, lusting. So I, I looked up. I said, Well, you know, I wonder. In fact, uh, I was talking with worth Is there any good is that word ever used in a good sense? And the couple of verses I have, Christ said in Luke 22:15, "I have earnestly desired." So this that's our word, earnestly desired to eat the Passover, Passover with you. Before I suffer, and then Paul said in Philippians 1:23, "But I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that would be much better." So th- those are legitimate. Uh, not, there are good uses of that word, uh, epithemia. So it has some good uses, but the majority of the time, it has this idea of a craving, a lusting, a longing for evil desires. And what Paul says, it wasn't just a few, it was every kind, every flavor, every color, if you will. Brought about in me every kind of evil craving. So I put the, I put the Weiss translation in here in different places to kind of show you. A lot of times I want to show you that, uh, about how the translation for the sin nature comes about. But I put it in here other, for other times just to kind of clarify some things. So the main verb has two modifiers in this, in this passage. It's taking opportunity through the commandment, the sin nature doing that. And for apart from me, the law is dead. We'll look at both of those now. Okay, so the first one is the sin nature. So the sin nature is the actor here, is taking opportunity through the commandment. So actually there's these two words and that's going to show up in verse 8 and also in verse 11. They kind of go together. So it, it, you're taking, taking hold of, Having taken, it's it happened. It's an event, past tense, and it's this idea of a starting point, opportunities, a starting point, a base of operation. So the sin nature is a launching pad. Uh, Sin was a launching pad. And I think about my, my kids. I had two boys. I have two boys. <laughs> um, and they always got their guys out. They got their army sets out. And they had a, quote, a base of operation. And they would build their guys. This is my base, Dad. I'm going to go out here and get these guys over here. I'm going to go out this way. So they had a, a base. That was their base. And the sin nature, that's the base of, of each and every, every person. That's the launching pad for their evil desires or their lusting. And it's by means of the commandment, the 10th commandment in this case. So it was the sin nature taking as a base of operation or a starting point through the commandment. So think about this. This is what we see in almost all of God's word. God's word comes along. It's a righteous standard. Here's God's word. And then here's man. Man looks at that standard. He, can, he has an option. As an unbeliever, he can say... I'm a sinner. I need a savior, or he can reject that. And then, as believers, when we're told, like Paul, "Thou shalt not covet," he can say, "Oh, forget about that," or he can say, "Woe is me! There's something wrong. I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't control my thought life." And, and that's what Paul's. That's what. Why is Paul so uh, exercised, if you will, through this whole chapter? It's because his thought life is just. All over the map, and he's saying this, and he realizes it's sinful, and it's not pleasing to God. And we can identify with that. It's a, it's a tough world out there, right? To have a, um, I'll say a holy mindset, but a proper mindset. We're bombarded constantly by things that we know are not right. They're 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 wrong. They're evil. They're awful. And Paul had the same struggles that we had, we have. Okay, so the commandment. As Merriman says, so the commandment, pushed the sin nature into operation. It's a, it was a launching pad. It kicked it off. And then this last part, I want to cover this again too. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Okay, so, so it's for um, expressing the reason for what's happening. Uh, in the sense of because, it's for because apart from the law, without separating from it, so we see that that the power of sin is the law from first corinthians fifteen fifty six it 's the dynamics of the law is the power source, and the law has no definite article here, so it 's a principle of the law that 's the power of source. so I want to go on this last part I really wanted to talk about a little bit more here again so so we see that it, this idea that sin is dead—you think, wow, that sounds—that sounds—that's that sounds, not right. That can't be right. Sin is dead. That's what, well, sin can only be dead. We're going to find out here only by only by one situation. And here's the situation. We'll find. First of all, we find that sin is never dead, really, in reality. Sin is a principle because we have Satan is the prince and power of the air. Sin is at work in this world, um, and we see many verses that talk about that. Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. Sin is crouching at the door. Uh, without and and here's the part that that really uh, helped me to understand this is that God's commandment, uh, without God's commandment, sin is not realized. And God's commandments are so important because they 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 put the spotlight on what sin is. It's anything that's contrary to who God is and what He's done. Because without, without God's standard, everything is relative. And that's what we see in our world. Everything is relative today. Without God's standard, we have, we have no absolute uh, marker. And the other part is that man is accountable to God. Every man is accountable to God. Every man has some understanding of who God is and what He's done. Because... And it's interesting that in uh, we studied this later early, earlier in chapter 2. We talked about the fact that the works of the law, not the law, but the works of the law are written in, in their hearts, talking about uh, Gentiles in this case, uh, that the works of the law are written in their hearts. So man is accountable to God. He understands a right and wrong to some level. And, and he's without excuse. So the conclusion here is that with... Uh, With the law... uh, Conclusion. Without the law, sin as a principle is dead. We must have the law. And God is so gracious in giving us the law to show us what is right and what is wrong. Okay. So today's verses, if you notice, I've highlighted the the commandment again. Each of these verses shows up and it will show up in the... uh, through 13 as well. Um, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came... Sin became alive and I died. This commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the law, through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, it, the commandment, killed me. Pretty strong words. All this is going to talk about a central idea here, which we'll see shortly. Okay, um, another little overview of of these verses here. This comes from our brother Hal, Uh, the nature and purpose of the law, Uh, what the law is not. And we learn from verse 7, it's not sin. What it does, it's a standard of right and wrong. It reflects the sinfulness of the sin nature. And then here's the part for today, provides realization of our separation from God. And Paul's going to focus on that because when he saw God's standard, he died. He, he was separated from God, not permanently, but, he, but he, he realized that he could not stand before God with, with a conscience like that. Uh, what it is, it's holy. God's law is holy, righteous, and just, or, or good. And so another little view of these verses we're looking at. So now on to verse 9. So actually there's there's, untran- there's a part uh, in the American Standard and I think in other translations I don't know why they didn't translate uh, an and or a but at the very beginning. It's not it's not the end of the world but it's just, it, it should be there. So it says but or and I once was alive apart from the law. So uh, so I chose and <laughs> and it's the word, word death. Death or but or and. And I myself was living. So Paul's going to talk about He was living in the state of what some have called innocence or not realizing about all of God's commandments. Uh, He was alive, doing his daily thing, if you will, conducting his life. Paul is speaking of how he was uh, continually living his life in past times. That's what the imperfect tense is. And And he was living his life, he says, apart from the law. And it's without or away from, so he, he wasn't really considering God's law in his discussion. So Paul had apparently, in time past, had not yet had the experience of coming to know the sin nature via the law. Paul's talking about his condition, not his position. This is, he's, he's saved, he's, he knows the Lord, he's a believer if you will, but his condition is not matching his position as we'd say. Uh, Paul did not have a consciousness of this type of sin, of this type of, of of thinking, if you will. He had he had freedom; he had the freedom from conviction of his conscience. And those are from Merriman. Okay, so let's go on to the second part. So here's what happened. So when the commandment came, so this is this idea of he's he reads it, he he sees it one day. Uh, this and it's in the Aorist tense This is an event in Paul's life when he encountered the commandment, "You shall not covet." Sin became alive, and I died. The sinful nature nature regained its strength and vigor, and I died. So I was trying to think of um, some examples. So I have two examples of this sin becoming alive, and, and I'm sure you all can relate to this. Well, first of all, I'm out driving on I-25, right? I'm driving along, and some some person comes right across, cuts right in front of me, and then he comes right back across me again, and what do I say? Have a good day? <laughs> no, I typically don't say that when it happens. When somebody cuts me off, and then they come back and they do some crazy maneuver, do I say, <laughs> I don't. My, what happens is, right? Sin becomes alive. Right? I have a sin nature. It goes into action. Example number two. I go into a nice restaurant. Actually, this one I, I, I occasioned with Wayne and Sue one time. We go into this nice restaurant. There's nobody in the restaurant. The waiter, or waitress, I'm not sure what it was, escorts us past all the best seats in the restaurant over to the corner next to the kitchen. With all the clanging pots and pans, did I say have a good day? Uh, I said, "Would you please recede this? <laughs> I'm not sure I actually said it that nicely. But there's a, some good opportunities for the, for the sin nature to come alive, and we can. There's hundreds of others of those. But you can see, Paul's being very personal here. He's talking about how our sin nature can, you know. There's a way to approach both both of those situations, both the car incident and the waiter incident. But many times we don't. And I'm certainly right there at the top. of. of uh, I have found with waitresses now it's best if I tell them where I'd like to sit before we ever... I say, okay, first of all, I'd like to sit here. And they can tell before we ever start walking. <laughs> because if we don't, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so anyway, that's my... I'm sure you can all relate to your particular ones that kind of get to you. Okay, so the sinful nature regained its strength... Vigor, and I died. And what that means is, what happens when we sin, when we we do something we shouldn't do? You know, we're out of fellowship, right? But the Lord has provided for that. We, you know. Alright. And so what happens is, the picture here is that the sin nature became alive. It lived again. It sprang into action and sprang into activity. And I died. Paul realized his separation from God. And, and, and at this point in, in this narrative that Paul's going to show through the rest of chapter 7 he's going to take the whole rest of chapter 7 to explain this this situation that he had with the law he's going to spend a lot more time with this we're, we're just about halfway through right now <clears throat> ok verse 10 this commandment again it's the commandment thou shalt not covet the same one you notice he says it's the commandment or this commandment it's, or it's not like you know, if you're, not, if you're not a careful reader, which I am not many times, I'll look at it and I'll put the plural on there. By himself. all the commandments, all the commandments are getting to him. No, he's he's zeroed in on this one guy. That's the one thing you take away from it. Roger, all Roger said was this one commandment. One commandment. That probably would be good, right? <laughs> which is the result in life. So what Paul said here's God's holy and righteous law. This is this should really. Make my day, if you will. This should really get me on the right track. I'm going to have what God has said, and that's going to... But it didn't. It had the opposite effect. It caused him to realize uh, his need. So he says the commandment, which was the result in life, the idea is toward life, and it's this word Zoe. Uh, life, is, And this is... Zoe is used in Scripture in a really marvelous way. It's the life that God has... You know, the, the verse that says, When Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That, that's Zoe. So it's, it's life. It's God's life. It's real life. You know, we, we have a life outside of Christ. But true life is life in Christ. It's Christ's life. So the commandment was toward the highest form of life, Zoe. In contrast, we'll also see bios in Scripture. And this is physical life. And uh, life of existence, so two words. Zoe is the highest form in Scripture, and bios is the... And you can find, you know, as you look through, you can find out which one it is, you know, but with a little little work. <clears throat> so actually, this is a comment. I appreciate your thoughts on this. This is by a guy named Moo. I'm not sure. I I didn't. I'm not real familiar with this guy, but I think actually others have quoted him too. Constable is quoting him here. He says, "It seems fair to conclude." that the law would have given life had it been perfectly obeyed. Well, I thought my first thought was there's only one person, <laughs> the God-man, who perfectly obeyed the law, and that's our Savior. So, I, I, I don't know, I, I haven't given my full, let, let me know what you think about that statement. It seems fair to conclude that the law would have given life had it been perfectly obeyed. I think it's more conjecture than it's certainly not reality. It's the only reality for our Savior. All right. So and this commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. And the idea again is toward death. We brings it across this life I found to be toward death. So the contrast is toward death and toward life. Death is again. All th- you know, nine, ten, eleven are all about. You could say loss of fellowship, loss of of communion with God. Uh, here, here was a commandment that promised life. When I followed it, I found myself in the area of death. And this is a statement that Merriman made. I, I like this. I to, I had to. I, I'm listening to this on the tape. I had to play it back a bunch of times to get this. Merriman says here, Paul's former state of happy, happy innocence has given way to his realization of his actual position before God via the commandment. And that's what we want. We want to see where do we really stand. Where do we really stand with God? And we know by scripture where we really stand. And so Paul realizes where he really, really stood. And he's going to realize that it has to be through the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the end of the story. It can't be through, he cannot, of his own efforts, live a, a quote, Christian life as pleasing to God. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same for us. Then in verse 11. So again, I'm going to kind of look at the, uh, the main part. In this verse, we have a, a subject and a compound verb. And the compound verb is deceived me and killed, through it killed me. So let's look at the first part here. So, And we see here that the sin nature was responsible for these two, I call them, catastrophic events in Paul's life. First of all, the, the, the sin nature deceived me. So you see, he's, he's in and this, and this, these set of verses, he's given us all the flavors, if you will, all the, all the uh, awfulness of the sin nature, how the sin nature is deceptive. It does all, these, all the things that are contrary to what God is. For the sinful nature beguiled me, Weese has it. So you notice, Weese he brings across. He puts sinful nature in there many times for sin nature. He put sinful nature in there. For the sin nature beguiled me. So deceived here is the idea to deceive completely, beguile, um, uh, mean to lead out, lead out of the right way into error. So the, and the, what's really interesting this word deceive. If you look at other, other Paul's writings, you'll see that it's used in a very interesting passage in terms of Eve being deceived by Satan. And I'll read the passage here. In second Corinthians eleven three it says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray for the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So this deception was not a new deception is an old deception right and you could argue that Satan never changes as way. Well. this deception of the sin nature influenced by the world, the flesh and the devil you know is the same deception that Eve had and it is things haven't really changed and the second one is for the sin the sin nature killed me through it the commandment for the, sin, the sinful nature through it killed me that's Swiss translation. So kill me is it's a metaphor, obviously. Again, it's, it's spiritual separation. Out of fellowship, you could say. And the middle part gives us, a, how did that happen? Sin, taking opportunity. So we actually have the same set of words that we had earlier. It's this launching pad approach. These two words. Uh, taking opportunity to lay hold of. The starting point is the space of operation. So the sin taking opportunity through, this, through, this, through the sin nature, that was a launching pad for the sin nature. Same pictures we had back in verse 8. Yes, back in verse 8. Okay, and a few more comments here. I, here's some, just some neat comments like, uh, listen to Mary Money, and this is some things that he had to say about this passage. And he, I expected one thing out of the commandment, but I experienced another. So, and that kind of fits, right? Paul expected to see God's, he, I want to see God's holy and righteous standard. And he did see that, but he didn't realize what that would have on him. I expected life by obeying the commandment, but I found myself in death or separation from God. And it's important to remember, God did, didn't give the law to deceive Paul, he gave it to Paul as a standard. It's the sin nature that causes the law to be deceptive, not the law. It is the sin nature that deceived Paul, not the law. All right. So now a few final thoughts. This is from uh, Newell. Newell's Romans. Um, he starts off. Let us <clears throat> let's get let's get it settled firmly in our minds. What Paul is is here exercise about so this is a comment that's in the Romans section 7 of what he's writing so he says Paul's is exercise about something so let's get it straight here it's not about our position if you will I'm not about the penalty of sin our pardon but it's about the power of sin our deliverance the whole question is concerning indwelling sin as a power not committed sins plural as a danger Mark also that while the indwelling Holy Spirit is the Christian's sole power against the flesh, the sin nature, he, the Holy Spirit, is not known in this struggle, but it is Paul himself against the flesh. So what we see, all through chapter 7, we see nothing of the Holy Spirit. Paul is struggling with him himself, he's trying to solve this problem on his own, but then we see when chapter 8 begins, he realizes that the Holy Spirit is his solution and then lastly while the law prescribes a holy walk it furnishes no power for it furnishes no power whatever for it alright so next we're going to continue and pick up on uh, verse 12 and 13 and kind of finish out this section and then Mike will pick up uh, well actually Mike's going to by that time we'll be ready for Christmas Eve Mike Mike has some things we were talking about what he's going to do for Christmas Eve so stay tuned All right, so let's close we thank you Father we thank you so much for your word thank you for your um, care for us for the fact that you have given us a, a righteous and holy standard and you haven't left us just to try to do the best we can and try to Uh, work hard and and, uh, memorize and all kinds of things to, well, I'll I'll just do this or that. But you've given us your spirit, uh, your Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us into the truth, Lord. We, We ask this in your name. Amen.